Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Praise the Lord. It's a great honor uh, to be here in Chandler and be back with you at the conference. And uh, over the last few years, I've had the privilege of preaching here and this conference and getting to spend some time with you. Many of you I see on the field, uh, and, um, and so it's a great, great honor to be here. I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 19, the book of Acts, chapter 19. There are a lot of people still pouring in here. Acts, chapter 19, and uh, we'll go there in the Word of God. This sermon that I'm going to preach to you uh, was inspired... Uh, because while I was uh, uh, doing a, a Bible conference in Freetown, Sierra Leone, West Africa this past March. In fact, uh, during the seminars, um, I began to write it as I was there. Uh, Joe Moreno was with me. And so Sierra Leone is a very hot, very, very humid place. Freetown's right on the water. About 18 hours out of every day, there is no electricity and I mean, every time you preach, I mean, you sweat. And I mean, it was like, uh, you know, who needs a, a, a CrossFit or PX90? Amen. Just preach in, uh, in Sierra Leone. I mean, you, you're soaking wet. You're exhausted. Um, after service, uh, we would go back to our hotel room, if you could call it a hotel, open the doors. There's no light, no electricity. And just sit there and try to catch a breeze. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I felt like I was uh, in prison in a third world country. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and so as I was there, I began to think about it because in order to preach, I have to have um, uh, my uh, uh, handkerchiefs in my hand. And so I'm preaching and I'm wiping my brow um, and I'm, you know, preaching. And all of a sudden I began to feel like I was Marty Carnegie. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden there was... Next thing you know, I'm like, good God, church, and I'm wiping everything, you know. And I began to think about, of all things, sweat. And this idea about, you know, the, the, the preacher and the anointing and the handkerchief and, and all that is involved there. And I believe that some of that uh, has to do with the verse of Scripture we're going to read. Because the story we're going to read is where the Bible says that they took the sweat cloths of the Apostle Paul and those sweat cloths began to produce miracles. I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled... The sweatshop. I want to talk to you about ministry this morning, Acts 19, beginning in verse 11. We're going to go there, and I'm going to ask you to open your heart. The Bible says in verse 11, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. 
Some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. There were seven sons of Siva, Jewish chief priest, who did so, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Then the men and the man in whom the evil spirit was, uh, was left on them overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and many would believe came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all. They counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. And verse 20 says, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Amen. Father, we pray this morning for a gracious anointing for your help. God, I pray, give us understanding. I pray especially for pastors who are pouring out their lives right now. God, give them miracles. Let it flow through their labors. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me begin and talk to you about unusual miracles. And so here is our text this morning. Acts 16, verse 20. Those chapters, those five chapters are uh, uh, some of the greatest reading in all the Bible, in my opinion. I really enjoy these passages because it tells us uh, about the early days of some of the great churches of the New Testament. If you read those chapters, you'll read about the pioneer days in Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, and Ephesus. Um, and when you read about these churches, um, uh, you know, just like every pioneer church today, they are filled with wild times. I, I want you to understand something, folks, about our fellowship and about any great church, beloved. Uh, they weren't all as slick and as smooth as they are right now. Amen. The disciples didn't look the way they did. I think one of the biggest battles that we face today, uh, uh, 40 years down the road in our fellowship, um, is that disciples today uh, don't know what a pioneer church actually looks like. You come from Chandler, Arizona, you come from San Antonio or Tempe or El Paso or, or Tucson, and you start thinking that, you know, you're going to go out and pioneer a church that's 30 years old. It doesn't work that way. The reality is that the early days of every church, beloved, uh, usually um, are pretty wild. And there's not a pioneer pastor here who can tell you a few crazy things. Uh, right now you're bummed out, but let me encourage you, 20 years from now, you'll be encouraged, amen, and you'll laugh about it. I was thinking about when Pastor Warner in the early days, long before I got saved in Tucson, uh, wanted to do an illustrated sermon out of Malachi about, uh, you know, will a man rob God? And so he had one of the brothers in the church... Right at the offering time, put a, a, a stocking over his head, uh, had a gun from the drama team. Uh, and as they finished the offering, he came in in front of this congregation, pulled a gun uh, with a stocking on it. Give me the money. Grabbed the offering and tore off running down out of the church. Pastor Warner's plan right at that moment was to read the verse, uh, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me in tithes and offerings. The problem was uh, that the men of that church, amen, were not, you know, they were, they were not church-going type of guys. And when that man did that, ran out of the building, all the men got up and ran out of the building after him. They caught him about a block down the street uh, and began beating on him. Uh, Pastor Warner had the roll of him, break it all up. 
In the early days of our church in San Antonio, we had brothers' homes and sisters' homes. Amen. And uh, thank God for them. But if you're not careful, you can move in one of those places and never be heard from again. Some of the brothers apparently have been reading the book of Genesis and got inspired. They were both hungry and inspired. Uh, and so uh, uh, they lived near the country and somebody, one of them, got a hold of a goat. And so they decided to bring the goat home, uh, kill it, uh, and they could have cabrito. And the only problem is uh, we're not talking guys from the rest. They didn't know how to kill a goat. And so they tied him up uh, and held him down. And somebody got a steak knife and started cutting Early days of the church. In one of our pioneer churches, I'm not going to say what church, McAllen, Texas, um, there was a, a man got saved um, who was a policeman, um, and he was really saved. And so what he started, all these people started coming to the church, uh, and he found out that the, this policeman would stop people and then say, either I will give you a ticket or you will promise to go to this church. That was 20 years ago. The statute of limitations is over. (laughs) So it is in our text. Here is the revival in Ephesus. And we find the words, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. So what happened is as Paul is pioneering this church, uh, he's ministering um, and he's sweating um, and people were coming to him uh, and they begin to talk about family members and things going on uh, in the neighborhoods. Uh, Paul, understanding his limitations of space, he couldn't be everywhere, simply began to say, you know what? Take this, uh, let's believe God, and you go give it to them, and let's believe God to kill them. And lo and behold, people started getting healed and delivered. I want you to think about this because there's a truth here, and it's the truth of unusual miracles. um, And we need to get a right understanding of this miracle because there are some valuable lessons. I believe, church, that we should not write off the book of Acts. We are not Baptists this morning that say uh, that, uh, well, you know, you got to, you have to, you know, uh, uh, that went out with the apostles and and we can't really use the book of Acts as our model for what a church ought to be. Well, I submit to you that if you can't use the example of the book of Acts, then who, pray tell, can you use? Rick Warren? Paul's sweat cloths were instruments of a miracle. And I believe the word that is operable this morning in your Bible is the word unusual. God wrought unusual miracles. If you're reading from the King James, you'll find the word special. It means to be rare or out of the ordinary. In Acts 28.2, it's used of unusual kindness. In other words, this was not something that was meant to be copied or certainly not to become a formula. In fact, when you read the Bible, you will find that throughout God's word, God did things that we could call unusual or extraordinary. They were meant for a time and purpose, but they were certainly not meant to be Imitated. God told Ezekiel to lie down for 390 days on his right side uh, and then to turn around and lie 40 days uh, on his left side. That God wanted to communicate a message uh, and uh, he did that uh, in an unusual manner. uh, But I don't suggest that you do the same thing. (laughs) Jeremiah is told to hide some of his chonies under a rock. 
leave them there and then return to them. And when he pulled them out, they were, I'm sorry, it's in my notes. They were all holy and grimy and dirty. Amen. <laughs> and then to hold them up and begin to say and prophesy judgment on Israel. This prophecy is called fruit of the doom. The Lord Jesus healed a blind man by spitting and making mud. Peter finds a coin in a fish's mouth. Every one of these are legitimate methods that God moved and used. Every one of them are scriptural, and I believe they are happening exactly as they're told in the Bible. The issue is we look at this stuff, uh, and then we just dislike this story of these exorcists uh, who simply want to turn a miracle into a formula. We, uh, uh, the Bible says the exorcists who prayed uh, in this name of this Jesus, they don't have any, but the idea that, well, uh, it says it, so I'm going to do it. See, the danger is we try to imitate the unusual. Is that we see the miracle and think that we can simply copy, copy it and make a formula. You know, the first time I ever encountered this passage of scripture, uh, my brother Fred and I were, were brand new converts. We were saved um, in the spring of 1979 in Tucson. Um, we grew up on 7th Street and Tucson Boulevard, um, uh, just um, uh, east of the University of Arizona. It was a Jewish neighborhood. And uh, uh, right on the corner, if you were to go there, uh, right on the corner, just uh, uh, west of Tucson Boulevard and 7th was a, a nice little house. And there was a little uh, a, a, a mailbox and below it was a little shingle that said the prayer house. Now, we had passed that house uh, all of our lives growing up there in Tucson. But we are brand new converts. Uh, and, you know, when you get saved, you begin to see, notice things you never noticed before. The prayer house. And so uh, we went over there, knocked on the door and just said, we see, what is this? Uh, and it was the first time we ever met a charismatic, nice people, an older man and his wife. They brought us in. Um, they were gracious, offered something to drink, wanted to hear what God had done in our lives. Um, and, uh, you know, they were, they were very nice people, the kind of people that probably uh, are in the studio at the TBN. Uh, you know, I, I'm not putting them down. They were good people. But in that uh, meeting, this man handed us these claws uh, with this verse in the book of Acts chapter 19 uh, and said to us, now listen, uh, these are prayer claws. Uh, you take them, uh, and if you want somebody saved, you put it under their pillow. If they're sick, put it on the illness, uh, pray over it. And, and, and I remember him giving us this stuff. I had never, ever heard this, never experienced anything like this in my life. I went to Pastor Warner, uh, and I said, uh, Pastor Warner, what is this? He looked at it. Said, oh, it's a bunch of junk and threw it. <laughs> and I knew right then there was something going on here. I don't understand. <laughs> see, the fact is that God does move, but the problem sometimes is we see how God moves and we think, well, then I'm going to see it done the same way. That we're going to make it happen. Let me give you a couple of examples. How about missionary dating? 
You know, this is when you're when you're witnessing on the job uh, and you bring somebody in. I have uh, uh, you know, some people that did that. This brother uh, got saved and he began to witness to this woman on the job. She came in and got saved. Uh, and then a few more, you know, about a year or two down the road, they ended up getting married. Uh, and, you know, thank God that happens. But let me tell you, that happens rarely. That's what you call an unusual experience. That means that 99% of the time uh, you start doing that and you end up marrying somebody who turns out to go right back to their sin. And the idea that, well, you know, pastor, so-and-so got away with, so-and-so did it. So I'm going, I don't know if you should do that. Because in our minds, just like uh, the seven sons of Siva, we have this attitude that, well, if God did it for Paul, then God's going to do it for me. I think I was here a while back. I told the story about a, a, a pastor who uh, was having, hosting a football ministry where they played football. And uh, he got upset and began to beat up one of the guys during the football game. And then at the end, he was supposed to give an altar call. And when he did, all the players ended up getting saved. Now, I don't know if they got saved out of fear or what. <laughs> but we hear these stories. The door director right now in the church in Desert Hot Springs uh, is an excellent man, was my neighbor right across the street from my house. And when my son Marcus was 11 years old, he wanted to play basketball up. And, and so he said, Dad, uh, can, can, uh, do you mind if I back the car out of the driveway so I can play basketball? Uh, I said, yeah, go ahead, Marcus, be careful. Uh, and he began to back the car out, but instead of stepping on the brake, he stepped on the gas pedal. Took off, the car went back, he turned the wheel and went and then backed right into my neighbor's truck. I was standing right there, like, get out of the car, you know. <laughs> Go get the neighbor. Out of that, my neighbor ended up getting saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> he got he married his online girlfriend and they're about to get sent out. I don't recommend the method. I don't want you, you know, here, here, son, go ahead and take the car, you know, let's, you know, you're so desperate for revival, I'm pioneering nothing here, here, take the car. <laughs> Roman Gutierrez told me when uh, one time, I, think, I don't know if he had just gotten sent out or I wasn't sent out, but there was a, a pastor in our area that read Smith Wigglesworth, and so I'm going to be another Smith Wigglesworth, you know what I mean, I'm going to do it Smith's way. And so he was uh, a Roman attendant, a revival this guy was doing, and he had injured his back. And so he called the guy, uh, uh, a Roman forward, you know. Uh, and so he had read about how Smith Wigglesworth once punched somebody in the stomach. Uh, and how, how you know Roman's the wrong guy to do that to? What's the matter? My, my back and so wrong. Let me pray for you. And Roman lifts his hand, and this guy, boom, punches him right in the back. Roman's like, I did everything I could not to scream out. Does it hurt? Oh, just a little. <laughs> I think I have time for one more. You know, I just... Uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the guys was telling me that they did a... They did a you know, there's, now imagine a little pioneer church, but the stage is this high. You know, the building is about one-tenth the size and so they're up there and this guy's praying and this guy came up and he had a, an injured ankle and so he prayed and he goes, I feel better and he's doing it. he'd seen Pastor Mitchell do it he said man jump off the stage the guy jumped off the stage and broke his ankle 
This ankle was healed, uh, but now, you know. All right, let's talk about mining the miracle here. Because I believe there are lessons that we can learn from this miracle. Having said that, I don't think we should write this off. Because I still believe in miracles 2,000 years later. So, okay, what are you saying, Pastor Ruby, that we can't? No, I, I, I'm just saying, listen, the idea that you just think things are a formula, you're going to miss God. And next thing you know, we'll be charismatics with scriptures written on handkerchiefs, and we will sell them for a, a, an offering to our ministry. Two things I believe we can learn. Number one is that miracle ministry requires sweat. Apparently, Paul got pretty lathered up while preaching. That while he was ministering and preaching, he was sweating, and these sweat cloths uh, are on him. In fact, it says not only sweat cloths, he had aprons. I'm talking about uh, this man uh, began to sweat, and I want you to think about something because it tells me that real ministry is hard work. That as he ministered, he sweated. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. Paul was a laborer, and he understood uh, that when he was ministry, he was working. See, the criticism of the world is they place no value on ministry uh, as real work. Amen. There are a lot of people who think the pastor, you know, I've had people say to me, uh, amen, I, I'm busy, uh, amen, like lots of people are. And they're like, well, what do you do for a living? The old saying is, why doesn't a pastor look out the window in the morning? The answer is, so he has something to do in the afternoon. <laughs> I remember years ago when I was in Tucson, a disciple there in Tucson, I, there was a brother in the church that said, I can't get a job. I guess the Lord's calling me to preach. That is not the picture of ministry we have in the word of God. Paul likens the preacher to an ox that treads out the corn. In other words, this is not glamorous. You and I would rather be likened to an eagle or a lion. But the fact is that ministry is faithfully laboring and we are more like an ox tilling the ground we are more like the field worker who simply labors and labors and labors and labors. Uh, you know, sometimes because Bible conferences and trumpets and videos uh, where we highlight certain parts of ministry, uh, you begin to think that this is all that it is. You know, uh, if you've ever seen SportsCenter and ESPN, they will take baseball uh, and they will show you a great catch or a home run. Uh, but you forget those two things happened uh, in the midst of three hours of absolute boredom. That's why I hate soccer. Because I mean soccer, you know, it's nil-nil. Um, that's how bad it is that they have to have a special name for zero. And, uh, and then at the end, you know, there's a couple of panicking. And it's like, you know, it's this 90 minutes of boredom followed by, oh, no, another 15 more minutes. And after that, maybe 15. And then finally it ends up with uh, one guy kicking a ball in the net. Boredom. Ministry is the arts. Ministry is not, thank God, you know, I get, I get to preach in this conference, in this setting where the fact is that you people make any preacher look good. And what happens is that, oh, that's what I want to be. And I, well, I'm sorry, you don't go in the ministry to be a conference speaker. 
The reality is to go in the ministry to go labor in a field. Faithfully again and again and again. See, here's the truth. Miracles don't replace hard work. They flow out of hard work. See, the apostle Paul is ministering and sweating, and as he's laboring, uh, miracles begin to flow from his life. Our minds, we want a miracle so we don't have to labor. We want a miracle to, to uh, uh, expedite the ministry. We hear this, we want to go back, and, and there's the truth, and I'm not anti-faith, and I, I, you know, I, I, have to, I know I have to qualify, but you know, you want beer, want fruitfulness, come on up here, let's uh, break the curse of barrenness, and let's, uh, listen, I've done that, and I'm all for that, but the idea that somehow uh, I'm going to grab some little nugget so I don't have to work as hard, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. What God does, he does flowing through men uh, who are sacrificing um, and laboring. My argument with the hyper-faith ministry is they believe faith is a shortcut to money, fruitfulness, and power. That all we need to do is figure out the formula. All we need to do is get hyped up, get a little emotion inside of us. Uh, you know, listen uh, uh, to uh, Juanita Bynum, while get us all wound up. Uh, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, now I believe, I believe, I believe. Get all your bills, put them in a pile, uh, lay hands on them uh, and say, Lord, uh, you get this and you said that. Now, listen, get your bills, uh, lay hands on them and start writing checks. <laughs> You know, there's a song out there, We Speak to Nations, Be Open. And I pray for nations, but I want to tell you something. If we're going to see nations open up, it's because somebody gets his wife and flies to that nation and plants themselves there and begins to live in the midst of those people. How lovely are the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news. Oh, it's a lot easier just to speak to nations than it is to actually go to them. I remember a while back when the warfare, spiritual warfare seminars. Some of you have been around long enough to remember when, uh, when you know, the whole spiritual warfare, kind of the Christian Dungeons and Dragons. And, uh, and this guy would, you know, they have spiritual warfare conferences. And so you would show up and everybody's dressed in, in army fatigues. You know what I mean? And they're, they're there to do spiritual warfare. And he gets up uh, and he, you know, and it's like, we're ready to go to war. Like we're, uh, you know, World War II bombers getting ready to go on a mission. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and then he said, are you ready to pray? Everybody draw their sword. And they all would go and grab their imaginary sword. Uh, are you ready to do warfare? Uh, and, uh, you know, let's pray. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray right now that you set free now. The apostle said, one plants, another waters. God gives the increase. That's not very glamorous, is it? It means you may plant, you may work and work and work. Listen to me, because I want to help some of you men here. You will work, work, and work, and you'll only take it so far. One of the things I think we're battling right now in our fellowship is men who have planted, but do not want to come to a point to say, this is okay, I've done my part. I need to move on and someone else is going to water it. No, in our mind, uh-uh, I want to plant it. I want to water it because I want to eat the fruit. I'm not going to leave this. Somebody else is going to come water and it's going to grow. And, and, and so we don't understand. We are simply laboring in a field. 
And so what happens is we, we, we begin to, and, and here's Paul just sweating and laboring and just, and, you know, here. He's not on TV. He's not saying, uh, you give me a special offering, I'll send you one of my, he's just ministering and, and it's like just out of all that he's doing here and miracles begin taking place. The second truth I believe that we can mine from this miracle is that miracle ministry is connected to the church service. See, the real story here to me, isn't that God used Paul's handkerchiefs. What stands out to me is that people were so excited about what was happening in the service, they wanted to take it home with them. That as they gathered together and Paul ministered, people were so excited about that ministry, uh, they wanted a part of that ministry uh, to be in their home. That their view of the assembly and of the gathering is that God would meet with us uh, and help us. uh, And I want to take that into the world. Let's never forget we live in a world that is sick and demon possessed. And as we gather, beloved, um, amen, we need to contend for God's blessing and miracle power in our church service. We have to have faith. In the assembly, we are the church when we assemble together. There has to be a faith uh, that when we gather, beloved, that Jesus indeed gathers with us. um, Amen. And an expectation that every time we come, uh, God's going to move. Why our fellowship can have people come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. You don't realize how unusual that is. Most churches have one Sunday morning service, they'll have maybe the larger ones, three or four services, and now on Saturday night at 6.30 so people can sleep in on Sunday. And the reason they do that is there is no faith for what's going to happen in that service. All they're providing is a religious salve for a guilty conscience. People are there to be able to associate with their success, feel better about themselves. But there is no faith that God's going to actually do something in their midst. The reason our people come on Wednesday night is not because they have to, but because they believe God's going to do something. We have to contend with this because I can tell you right now, I'm pioneering. I've pioneered. I know that there's an assault sometimes when you're pioneering. Uh, nobody's going to come. Nothing's going to happen. And it begins, there's a demonic attack against a pioneer pastor. Even if you have larger churches, but you're going through rebellion or things in your church, where you begin to lose faith for the assembly, you almost dread the service. You dread the assembly. There's a demonic thing uh, where you almost want to just get through church. Rather than looking forward to, rather than aiming your life for that. So it's like you just want to hurry up and get through it. The miracle here is that when they gathered, they saw something that they wanted. When I was a new convert, there was an evangelist named Larry Reed. Larry Reed would come through and do revivals. And I mean, he would change churches. Because by the time Larry Reed left, every one of us wanted to be Larry Reed. How many old timers remember him? Some of the best revivals. uh, And there was such a faith that if I could just get somebody, I didn't care what I had. If I could, I I did whatever I had to do lawfully and unlawfully uh, because I believed that if they would just come to church, God would save them. Amen. There was a spirit of evangelism. Uh, and so we would uh, go out on the streets uh, and we would preach this. I want you to know uh, I was a little Mexican-American. Uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and all the things. Amen. Uh, we, you know, uh, if we weren't careful, we'd start claiming we'd been in San Quentin prison. 
Because something was happening in that service uh, that was given to us uh, so that we could take it out and touch the world. Pastor Mitchell started praying for the sick. We would come and he would pray for the sick. And how many, amen, after watching him pray for the sick, said, I want to go try that, amen. We see him pray for the sick and, and there we would go and we'd bring them a loosome. I remember about coming back in the 80s and Pastor Mitchell, I was so excited, I went back, began to uh, preach on prayer filling and, and contending for healing in our service. And, and a couple of mothers took their kids to McDonald's to run around and play, you know, uh, and they're sitting there. And there was a woman there that had some sort of injury. And, and so they've been seeing me pray for. And so they started, you know, God could heal you. Uh, and they started praying for this woman. She got healed. Uh, somebody saw it. Can you come? Next thing you know, they're having a crusade in McDonald's. <laughs> I saw my pastor's life and spirit preaching. And as a young man, I said, I want to be just like that. I want to grab that. I want that. This wasn't him, you know, before the service, folks, uh, uh, in the foyer after church. Uh, I'm going to have some sweat cloths. Uh, you see this right here? Uh, I'm going to have this available uh, for the highest bidder. It wasn't that some informal, charismatic nonsense. It was me coming to a church service and watching a man of God minister and say, I want that. I want that to flow through my life. I want impact to be made through me. Let me close and talk to you about the miracle of a spent life. You know, Paul must have done an awful lot of sweating. Sweat cloths, aprons. There's a wonderful picture here. See, his sweat, his labor was a powerful force. Paul was spending his life. You know what he would write and refer to this period of time ministering in Ephesus in Acts 20, 31? He said, remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. I mean, what a picture that the apostle Paul is saying. You know what? When I pioneered that church in Ephesus, I mean, it was all coming out of me, whether it was sweat whether it was tears, I spent it all. I laid it on the line. There was uh, no reserve. He didn't hold anything back. That's why in 2 Timothy 4, as he is writing his last word from the last chapter of the last letter, he's, he's on his way to die. He's saying, I'm ready to be offered up. He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And I believe that he's capturing this image of a man who sweat and a man who wept and gave his life. The spent life. Let me ask you something. Where are you going to spend your labor? Where are you going to spend your What are you sweating for this morning? What, 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 what is, where's the passion? What is the aim? I, I'm all for hobbies, but you know, uh, you know, the only difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. Uh, if you're not careful, you can get so caught up in some hobby and you, you don't realize you're spending your sweat there. You're putting your life there. Let me tell you something. I'm going to preach a sermon um, uh, here soon. Amen. And this, I'm, this doesn't get back to Texas. All you Texans, hey, burn the tape. But I'm going to, you know, I'm telling you, I'm one of the things that I'm dealing with right now. And I, this may be true here. I don't know your story. But what I'm seeing now is I'm seeing men who are good 
quality men of God, but their great dilemma is they're pioneering and because they have character, they're earning $70,000, $80,000 a year. And if I were to offer them a takeover church of 100 people, they would earn maybe $24,000 a year. And the lifestyle of, 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 the, of a good income. That here is an opportunity to pastor and be full-time and a church with resources and, and, and couples, and, but, but, but you can't do it. But you got to understand what you're really doing is you're going to spend your sweat here. You're going to spend your sweat here. You're going to give them your sweat. Paul said, you know what? I poured it all out. I'm, I hope the cleaning ladies don't get upset. Here's the truth about the spent life is once it goes out of you, you can't get it back. You can't retrieve it. You don't got one life to live, man. There are no second chances here. Either you're going to, you're going to pour it out. What's, what, where's the passion? Where's it going to go? He says, there's a crown of righteousness waiting for me. Ministry has to be more than a hobby. It will take everything from you. you know what sweat is? Sweat is human air conditioning. Did you know that? I read a great book. You want to, if you're a reader, you want to read a good book, read a book called Born to Run. It's not a Christian book, I'll warn you. But it's about these, uh, it's a great story about these, these uh, Tara Umaras. I don't know if we have any Tara Umaras here. Amen. The Tara Umaras is an Indian tribe in Mexico, Chihuahua, Mexico. And these people are raised to run 50 to 100 miles a day. I, I, I've got to be careful because I can exit onto this one. I don't know, man. I got blessed reading about these Mexicans that can run. I, I don't know why. You guys blessed me. But uh, I was. Uh, <laughs> but a very, very interesting thing he does on sweat. He says, you know, the two uh, species that sweat the most are human beings and horses. What makes us different from the rest of creation is that God has put in us this ability to sweat to allow us to keep going. Sweat isn't your enemy. Sweat is your friend. You remember that next time. (laughs) You know, in this book, one of the things it says is that there are hunting tribes who kill. You know how they kill their prey? They outrun them. Not because they're fast, but because they run their prey to death. Animals that are stronger, animals that are faster, and they just begin to run, and that animal takes off, and they just keep running, and that animal, and he keeps looking, man, that dude don't slow, you know, and then, like, man, dude, chill. And they'll just keep running them, and finally that animal will drop dead because he doesn't sweat, because he's not able to cool off, and even though it's bigger and stronger, here come the hunters. <sighs> I'm telling you this morning, if you pour your life out, you're not going to burn out. You pour your life out. You're not, you know, who, do you know who stands the likelihood of burning out this morning? It's not the man or woman who's pouring their life out. It's the one who's doing it as a hobby. The one who's half in, who's not giving their all. The real problem, the killer, beloved, uh, is not commitment. The killer is always compromise. Because there's a divine air conditioning God put in us. That if you labor and you give yourself, that's why you can look back at your early convert years uh, and they went by like uh, it says uh, of uh, Jacob, uh, like seven years went by for nothing. 
as he labored for uh, uh, Rachel. There's something inside of it. We were just wet. You know what we were doing? We were sweating. That's why. But when you stop sweating and you slow down and you're no longer investing your sweat and your labor, all of a sudden now it's hard. Some of y'all, you could run like the wind when you were a teenager, but now you couldn't run around this church uh, without us having to call the ambulance. Are you with me, church? The Bible says that Jesus sweat great drops of blood. He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. I don't know how else there's nothing more poignant than the Lord Jesus in the garden, knowing full well what he's going to do. And like the apostle Paul would say later, he's talking about water. The Lord Jesus is pouring out his blood. The cross was a sacrifice. The cross was labor. No shortcut there, man. No expediency there. He endured the cross, the Bible said. He sweat as it were great drops of blood. You came to this conference looking for a technique or a method. You came looking for some little trigger, some little thing to put your faith on. I'm telling you, what you need to take this week, beloved, is not a sweat cloth. You need to take the spirit of what God wants to do here. Let's bow our heads. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.